Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Scranton, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. On this episode, it's all about celebrating whiskey, but at long last, we got to do it in person. I travelled north a few weeks ago to experience the return of the Spirit of Speyside Whiskey Festival. It was great to see the buzz back with people travelling from all over the world to attend. I caught up with loads of different people, from those directly involved in the festival, to whisky producers and those of us here to sample and enjoy the whisky. First up, I enjoyed a tour of Glenfiddich, where our guide Brian Weir gave us a great insight into the history of this world-famous brand. Starting in Dufftown, we visited sites with links to the Grant family, who started the distillery, before visiting the Robbie Dew Spring, which provides the water for Glenfiddich. We then went on to the Glenfiddich distillery to discover the story behind Maverick Whiskey Makers of Dufftown. Here's a taste of this fascinating tour for you. So when William first started to produce these, these liquids, at that time there was no requirement in law to keep whiskey for a certain period of time before you could sell it. But when he first tried to sell his first whiskies, nobody had heard of William Grant and Sons. So there was a lack of appetite for people to buy it. And he's really, really struggled in the early days to sell any liquid. Um, he does then strike up a contract with a greengrocer in Aberdeen, a company called William Williams and Son. And they agreed to take about 85 to 90% of everything William was producing. So he thinks at that point, result, you know, my list was going to be out there and I'm going to be, you know, where I want to be as a, as a whiskey maker. What he didn't quite bank on was that Williams were then going to sell his whiskey as their own. Oh. So have you guys heard of Gordon and McPhail? Yes. Yeah. So Gordon and McPhail and Williams were pretty much the same. They were greengrocers. And back at that time, most people who sold whiskey were greengrocers. But the, the idea of them is you'd walk into the shop and say, I'd like some whiskey, and they would say, what flavour? How would you like your flavour? And they would then literally go through the back and make up your own profile of whiskey. Oh my goodness. Which would be amazing today to walk in somewhere and go, I'd right. like it to taste a little bit like X, Y and Z. Right. Um, and the, the relationship is, is quite good. They're quite happy. And they approach William in, in around towards the end of 1891, start of 1892, and try and buy Glenfiddich from him. And at that point, he's not very keen on selling his distillery. So he says to them, no, you can't buy my distillery. However, at that time, the land right next door to Glenfiddich has just been put up for sale. William gets a little bit of an inclination that a distiller is going to buy the land, and that land would share the Robbie Dew Spring, the water source he was using for Glenfiddich. So he kind of thinks, I'm not wanting that to happen. So he buys the land. And he tells Williams, you're not getting Glenfiddich, but I might sell you the distillery I might build next door, which is going to be called Glenfiddich 2. Oh, original. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they're quite happy. They say, fantastic, thanks very much. They go back to Aberdeen. They keep buying his liquid. Uh, he starts constructing Glenfiddich II on the 1st of May, 1892. When he completes that distillery, um, he decides to ch change the name from Glenfiddich II to Glen Gordon. He then changes it to the Balvenie because he built the distillery on the Balvenie Mains farm. So when Williams come back and say, we're here to buy Glenfiddich II, or it's now called the Balvenie, he says, actually, I think I'm going to keep that as well. So they go on a little bit of a, a hissy fit and they stop buying his whiskey. And they build their own distillery about 100 metres from Glenfiddich. And they call that distillery Glendullen, which is just, you can just see the chimney of it just now. We'll be driving past that as we go down. Okay. And they build Glendullen and they run it for about 15 years on their own. And then they get in partnership with a company called DCL, which is the Distillers Company Limited which then later morphed into, any ideas? World's biggest whiskey producer? Diageo. Diageo, yep. So when you look at this area, there's around 51 distilleries within about a 20 mile radius of here. 23 of those are owned by Diageo. 16 of them are owned by Pernod Ricard. Diageo, the world's biggest drinks producer. Pernod Ricard, the second biggest producer of whiskey in the world. We are third. Uh, we have three distilleries on site, and when you look at Dufton now, they've gone from those original seven, there's now really six. There's a Singleton, there's Mortlick, there's Glendullen, and there's Glenfiddich, and there's Balvenie. What's the third one called, guys? You were there this morning? Yeah. What's the third one called? You were in it this morning. We were. We were. <laughs> you were inside it. When you were, did you go through the mash tons in Balvenie? Yeah. Yeah? So you had a Balvenie Maston on the right. There was another Maston on the left. What was, written, what was written on that? We didn't know that. Have you ever heard of Kininvi? Yeah, so, there's, so we own three distilleries and Diageo own three distilleries. So it's kind of north-south of the, of the village. I'm Melanie. I'm from Los Angeles. I've thoroughly enjoyed the Speyside Whiskey Festival. It's my first time not only at the festival, but also enjoying Scottish whiskey. So I've learned a ton and now I can go back to America and be a whiskey connoisseur. I'm Laura Kefestian. This is my first time in Scotland. Um, we planned our tour around the whiskey festival for my husband's 60th birthday. He's a whiskey enthusiast and I'm joining in with him and I've had a fantastic time. Um, my favorite has been Belvenie and Glenfiddich. I'm joined by Sarah Burgess who is the creative director of the Craigellachie Collection. Hi Sarah, how are you? Hi, I'm great thanks. You? Yeah, good, yeah, thank you. So we are sitting in the Kriegelke Hotel, so if you can hear any sort of noise from reception or anything outside, that's what it is. It's a beautiful sunny day in Speyside and it is day two of the Spirit Speyside Festival. So a bit of context, um, the festival's been going for over 25 years. Uh, the last two years it's not been about, obviously, because of COVID. And it was virtual last year, but this is the first time that people are back in Speyside enjoying over 500 events, including Sarah's History of the Highball. So what does it mean and how does it feel to have people back, people from all over the world are now back in Speyside? What does that mean to you? I think it's fantastic. You know, I'm born and raised here in Speyside. I've got a passion for this area, the products, and I love 
talking about Speyside and sharing it with people. So the amount of people that I met over the past couple of days that have travelled from other parts of the world just to be here. Some people, it's their first festival. Other people, they're on, I think, almost 20. Um, you know, it's fabulous, the draw that it has for people. And to see it coming back to normal is just brilliant. And um, what, what do you think it is about this area? I mean, I know there's lots of whiskey distilleries, but do you feel there's something else, not just whiskey, that draws people in? Speyside's a magical corner of Scotland. It's beautiful, the landscape is stunning, the river is amazing, and I think, maybe slightly biased, but I think the people are pretty special, and I think that's what does it. You know, folk come here and they will randomly meet new friends, they'll chat all things whiskey, time just passes by. I mean, I met people yesterday in one whiskey tasting, three, four hours later on a different whiskey tasting, Two tables of two suddenly become a table of four. And they sat drinking in the quake and talking away until, you know, early hours of the morning. And each year they're going to come back to the festival and carry on from the relationship they've set up today. Is it whiskey that makes that? Is it the space idea? Is it people being relaxed on holiday? I think it's a combination of all those things. And what do you think it means for the area? Because obviously it's quite a big deal, there's a lot going on, a lot of people come here, is it kind of widely embraced or is it, you know, a bit like a small version of the Edinburgh Festival in which some people are a bit sort of, you know, can be a bit funny? I think local people are getting more and more involved in the festival. You know, I think historically people almost went, well, that's for for the tourists, you know, people travelling here, it's not for the people that live here. But so many more local people are getting involved and not just the people that work within the industry. People that aren't whiskey drinkers are looking for events. What can they go to? What can they join in with? How can they get engaged with whiskey? So that's really, really good. And one of the things they can do is your History of the Highball event, which kicked off last night or yesterday afternoon, and you've got another one tonight. So what can you tell us about that? I love whiskey and have been drinking whiskey and talking about whiskey for just over 25 years. A real sign of how old I am now, Rosalind. It's not <laughs> ideal. Um, and I think ways in which people can get involved with whiskey and embrace whiskey is really important to me, and that's why I wanted to talk about the highball. You know, the highball's been a drink, it's been been on the go for a you know, few hundred years, but I really want to see that popularity coming back see people mixing with whiskey. Part of the reason why I wanted to do the highball class is because I've been developing a range of soft drinks and mixers called Space Soda. What I've been doing with those drinks is always combining them with whiskies through the prototypes and using the hotel, using the staff and giving them these whiskies to drink in highball style. And the amount of people that almost looked like I was going to poison them. You know, they are really nervous and not wanting to take this whiskey because they perceived it as a, as a bad drink and something it wasn't for them. And as soon as this hit their lips, they suddenly really enjoyed it. And they went, I can't believe that's whiskey. You couldn't have put very much in there. And it kind of opened that whole conversation that normally they would drink either gin or vodka. I said, but you wouldn't drink gin or vodka poured straight from the bottle into a glass and drink it straight. 
but there's an expectation that you would do that with whiskey. You know, it's the strength that you don't like. So bringing that strength down, giving it an extra dimension to the flavour and making it refreshing. I mean, a day like today, the sky is blue, the sun is out. Um, you, you want a tall drink, so why not make it whiskey and make whiskey fit for all occasions? Yeah, and it kind of plays into the, the, the narrative just now of you should be able to drink your whiskey however you want. Exactly, and that's really important. You know, there's there should be no rules, but I think, you know, we damaged ourselves in Scotland and we made these whiskey rules and people are afraid of it. Um, they're terrified of the variety of flavours. People are scared to to look stupid, you know, to be made to feel inadequate in a bar ordering a drink. Um, so I think anything opens that door to make whisky more accessible and make it that people call out, not for a specific brand, but for a whisky in a specific way, whether that be a smoky cokey, whether it be a whisky lemonade, whether it is a whisky and soda, but just making it long, making it more enjoyable and more to their palate, I think is, that's what we need to do. Yeah, because there's still a kind of, there's still some places where you'd be told, oh, you can't have it like that, or that's wrong, but... It's like you say, it's, it should be for everybody. And I think more and more people are coming around to that. Have you found in the, you know, the one thing you've done so far, you've done another tonight, that people are quite surprised that at a highball and how it tastes and how you can do that with whiskey? Yeah, the class was only actually meant to go on for an hour, but we ended up being in the room for almost three hours. People just broke, up, broke out into little groups and conversation. So we just let that flow and run and it was really brilliant and the amount of people that talked about I'm so surprised that I enjoyed it so much I'm so surprised that was whiskey I'm because I, I just used one whiskey and different types of sodas to actually show how the same whiskey can be really really different there was some chat that we should do different whiskies but I think you know changing people's perception about whiskey getting bars in particular to embrace the highball we talked about it briefly yesterday quite a famous whiskey writer was in Edinburgh and tried to order a highball in numerous bars and the bars actually refused to serve the whiskey that way so I don't think it's just educating the consumer was about working with the bars and getting people to accept that when the customer comes in and they order a drink, give them what they want. You know, don't start judging them. You know, you wouldn't, if someone came in and asked for a half pint, you wouldn't start persuading them to have a pint instead because, you know, a beer shouldn't be in a small glass. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a really strange one. I sort of feel like it's a bit like when you order steak, you get told you should be having like a, you know, medium rare steak, but some people don't want that. And there's like an element of sort of, not pretentious, but like judgy. But it's it's strange how there's some things that are just inbuilt to the the national psyche that you can't do. Yeah, so it's going to take a long time. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy to keep on chatting away about highballs and you know how refreshing they are, what the flavour is like, and hopefully we're sitting here in a few years' time, and it's a bit like Japan, where everyone's drinking highballs all the time. I'd love that. Yeah, because you were saying last night that they have highballs in cans. It's really interesting while they're ready to drink drinks we have here that nobody's done that here, like canned it up and called it a highball. Exactly. 
you never know. Watch this space, <laughs> Watch this space indeed. So what's your background? How did you get to this point? You've grown up in Speyside and loving whiskey. Like I said, um, you know, I'm from Speyside. I've been here my, most of my life. Um, I started working at Cardi Distillery when I was 21. I actually started on my 21st birthday and everybody that I know was like, you'll never survive past that day. You're going to have all of these whiskies, people on holiday. No, there'll be a massive party on day one and that's it, you're done. <laughs> Um, and I, when I started working there, I had no interest in whiskey. And I guess part of that thing of what's on your doorstep, you don't really appreciate. So for me, normal was going on a five mile journey in the car and going past 10 distilleries. I didn't see that as unusual or special. And actually now I really appreciate how special that is. The concentration of distilleries that we've got in this space and space side is phenomenal. And probably partly to do with the story of Cardew, you know, being pioneered by women. Their strong story with both Helen and Elizabeth coming showed me that definitely gender was not a barrier to whiskey. I also saw people come here that were effectively making a pilgrimage. You know, they were traveling all the way here to come to their favorite distillery. They knew so much about Scotland, our history, our drink, that I started to get more and more interested and I wanted to learn more and more and more. And, you know, I, I loved my time as a tour guide because as you can probably tell, I like to talk. So it was great, I actually got paid for that. <laughs> And then when I finished working with Diageo 20 years later, I'd worked my way right up to being senior site manager. So I started, you know, with a seasonal guide job, which is, you know, the entry job for a distillery. And I left with the highest job that you can have on the distillery. So it was a brilliant journey. And I did so many different roles with Diageo and I had a brilliant time with them. But I wanted to come home to Speyside because I'd been living up in Brora, down at Glenkinchy, out in East Lothian, and over in the West in Oban. And I just wanted to come home. I wanted my children to feel that same sense of belonging and have that same pride and passion for Speyside that, that I've got um, and that my parents also have got. So we moved back here and I went to work as whiskey maker up at the Macallan. And quite quickly I was promoted to lead whiskey maker and I finished there in January, just short of having been there for five years. So I left McAllen again for family reasons. You know, the, my husband works in Norway offshore, so he's away for two weeks. And with two young children, the childcare and flexibility was really quite difficult. So Piers offered me a brilliant brilliant flexible package where I work school hours when my husband's away and I work full time when my husband's at home. So it works for the family, you know, my children have always got either parent with them. And the excitement of what we're going to do with the Kregelke collection, to be in something from the very beginning, to be able to choose and choose everything, choose the look and the feel of the brands, decide their personality, work through all of the flavours. So we've got Space Oda, we have Space Fly Gin, 
we've got Spay Cider, Spay Beer and Quake Whiskey. So a lot of brands and going from entirely being in whiskey to now going across the drinks uh, portfolio is been a lot of fun so far. Um, and I look forward to getting the rest of the products ready. And you can you obviously use your training in whiskey and how, you know, making whiskey, your nose and your senses and stuff is obviously top notch. So just taking that and put it in something else must be... And like you say, from conception, so working in the Macallan is very well established and everybody knows it and loves it, but you're taking your unique sense of smell and taste and putting it into these brands. Exactly. And just working, like you say, working them from the beginning. So it's a different type of nervousness, you know, with Macallan being fully established, every time I would work with the team and creating a new release, I was always so anxious. Well, what if it's not good enough? What if people don't like it? What if it's not considered to be Macallan? And here in the Kregelke collection, it's a new type of nervousness because I'm creating something from the very beginning. So will people like it? Will people buy it? Will What will the story be with these? So, yeah, I think the day that you don't have that anxiety about the quality of your product is probably the day that you should stop doing it. <laughs> and they're very good because we had some last night and they're very, very nice, very refreshing. I don't know if I can say what my favourite is, but maybe maybe in another time, another podcast. I think we do another podcast for yeah. that one, Rosalind. But thanks so much for saying that you enjoyed them. Yeah, really good. Being, as I say, being from Speyside, this is probably a bit of a different question, or your answer might be different from other people. What's your earliest whiskey memory? I don't know that I can pick the earliest one because it's just always been there. I, I guess it's a bit like, what's, what's the first time you can remember or that you were conscious of drawing a breath. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, that's a really tough question, Rosalind. Like, I'm not sure where... I, I really don't. Are you from... Like, is your family from a whiskey-making background, or...? My dad works within the industry, but not directly. But he's been working as a consultant for, for Scythes for the past three years, and he worked within the Scythes group for a long time. Everyone knows them, and they've all got a story about this one time where this thing was broken in the distillery and they'd spent loads of money and loads of time and loads of effort trying to fix it. And my dad will come in, look, listen, touch, and then say, it's this, <laughs> and he fixes it. There's not a distillery that he's not been in. Working directly in distillery goes back to my great-granda. He worked at... Benrinis Distillery, um, but only for a few years because he was actually a farmer and that's where his real passion lay. So yeah, he had a few years in Benrinis and that's it. And nobody else I know does connect directly to a distillery, but I, what I'm really quite interested in is understanding a bit more about distillery history. So my great uncle, he, his farm just beside Benrinis Distillery, is called White House. And I just read quite recently that White House was the farm and home for Peter Mackenzie, who built Benrinis Distillery. But apparently had built his original distillery on the White House farm. Now, that 
distillery actually washed away in the Great Flood and then Benrinus Distillery was built on the current site. So I'm really interested to go up to that farm that's still within my family. So going up there and exploring where that, where was the distillery and how much did the family know about that. That's really interesting. There must be so much of that round about here. Yeah. Just like, you know, when it was all illegal and kind of smuggling and things just happening in sites that are maybe not even sort of known about. Well, actually, even from the window here, just along the road at Dandleith Farm, there was a distillery there, but it didn't survive for that many years. Um, but you would have thought it would have because Dandleith Farm is quite a large farm, so in terms of being access to barley, you've got plenty. With the farm, also an opportunity to get rid of the waste product. And at Dandleith, it was right on the edge of the railway line, so distribution, it, it had so much going for it. So I'd like to know a bit more about all of these distilleries that didn't make it. One of the parts of the podcast is Desert Island Jams, which you probably get asked about this all the time. <laughs> if you could only take three whiskies onto a desert island, what would they be and why? Does my desert island get cold weather? If you can, if you want, yeah. OK, if I get cold weather, then I'm definitely taking Kalila because I love Kalila in the winter. Like, I won't drink it in the summer. It's just not a summer one for me. I'd have to take a Macallan, you know, spending all that time there. Yep, I'd have to. And an Oban, because an Oban is the bridge between, for me, Speyside and that light, sweet, fruity style and a big, chunky, smoky Isla. So I find Oban a great everyday whiskey. And I'm going to ask you something I was asked here in the hotel a while ago. If you could share a quake with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? I think if I could share a quake with anyone, it would be my granny. I'd take her back just to have one quake and ask her some news. Ask her some things I didn't get the chance to. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, it's funny what things come up when someone's gone and you think, oh, no, I can't, can't ask them that anymore. Exactly, exactly. And whiskey's a bit like that, isn't it? It sort of yeah. starts conversations, brings people together. Well, it should be. It should be about sharing and it should be special, you know? And it's funny because if you think you could have anyone in the world, and of course, when you've got a whiskey and you start chatting, you're going to learn so much more and you could have anyone that you want but I think it's about your family, your loved ones, the special ones. And that's what, for me, the quake represents, that love, that share and that friendship. And uh, just finally, what what would you say is your highlights of the festival this year? Do you know what? See it just having the festival back, seeing Speyside so busy, people with their itineraries and jumping from one event to another event. I love that hustle and bustle. So I can't, I can't pick one thing, just the fact that it's back, it's face-to-face, it's real, we've got people here, and it's it's just brilliant. Well, yeah, it will be. So um, thank you very much. Thanks. One of the joys of the whiskey festivals I attend is the wonderful entertainment that's always laid on, and the spirit of Speyside Festival this year was no different. Here's Joe Aitken sing a bothy ballad at the fireside during a tasting session with Murray McDavid, which you'll hear a little from too. Oh, yeah. Tongue the farmer said, and they 
Er takt de sjoen en sen i meer, af voor ek krutge de run. Wat myn jy niet steplokken uit die mak, en hon er de jobs voorbij. En af de goed wees she's laid doen, wat ne bed jy mok de kai, wat ne bed jy mok de kai. Ach, that's a very will the lad, he said, I've heard that tale of four. But I'm on him, you're proof and not a four enter your door. Our Commission Gold Series, generally our older stocks, uh, 21 year and above. We bottle single cast, um, maybe a vatting of two, which I think this is, around 625-ish bottles produced at mm -hmm. that natural strength of 51.2. Uh, and um, well, I'm sure you know, many um, independent bottlers will have stocks of Glenkeith, but what makes Murray McDavid, of course, um, different is our uh, further maturation. In this case, it's quite classic, um, finished in that first fill Oloroso, yeah. but tonight we're going to be exploring a rum cask, a... Um, another Oloroso, full-term first fill Oloroso with our festival bottling. Yum. My name's David Ross, I'm from uh, Murray Firth Tours, I'm one of the transport providers at the uh, festival. It's good to see the buzz back in the uh, space site, and it's good to see people come and join the area. I also went along to hear Martin Nui's session on tasting whiskey and chocolate. nose and taste, we all have our own way of nosing and tasting. And what I like to do, I like to add a little a, 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 a more pleasure in my tasting. Uh, and my, this additional pleasure is the touch. So I always take a bit of whiskey and I rub my hand. And don't think that it's because I'm French and I ignore soup and it's a way to keep <laughs> my hand. No, it's really, uh, to me, it's the way to really come to the DNA of your whiskey because you, you will only get here the, the way the malt expresses itself. So you, you won't get spices or, or lots of things. You just get the malt, uh, the cereal. And, um, and it's very biscuity on this one, uh, to me. It uh, made me think of this bourbon cream uh, biscuits, uh, very, very sweet, a bit of vanilla. And, uh, and of course, we get vanilla. We get also a bit of ground ginger and, uh, um, and on the palate, uh, the texture is lovely. It's a sort of a... Satin-like texture. Yeah, it's, it's so just uh, uh, coats your mouth, but very sweet, very gently. It's not, uh, and we get also this more dried apricot, very very fruity. Um, the 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 finish has a sort kind of almondy uh, aftertaste. A lovely spring whiskey. So I was looking for a kind of spring-like chocolate. And in his uh, spring uh, selection, um, Glenshill had this uh, this strawberry white chocolate. This one, the white chocolate with stripes, okay. And it's raspberry and heather honey. So if you cut a little piece, 
Um, uh, usually with bourbon matured uh, whiskies, we will go for white or milk chocolate rather than dark chocolate. And so the idea here is to you taste the whiskey first and we take a bite of uh, the chocolate and before we swallow the, the chocolate we add a little sip of whiskey which is not the perfect polite way of eating but it helps because the, 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 the pairing will happen in your mouth and if you don't like it you have spittoon. <laughs> My name's Mark Thompson, I'm the UK ambassador for Scotland for Glenfiddich Single Malt Whiskey. And now that the festival is back, it's just been a great feeling coming back here and seeing so many familiar faces, doing our jobs again, you know, being with people, seeing the excitement around the festival, the, the joy for the releases that we've done at Glenfiddich. I hope it continues. It's been slightly quieter than normal, but in a way that's given us a bit of time to spend more time with guests. And yeah, I, I, it just fills me full of joy again. I met Karen McWilliams at Glenallachie, who let us in on a little secret, although I should point out this is not confirmed at this stage. My name's Karen McWilliam and I'm the tour manager here at Glenallachie. So Karen, how does it feel to be back at the Spirit Speyside in-person events and seeing people from all over coming back to Speyside? Absolutely wonderful. It was a very long two years without it. We feel that we're meeting now all our guests from overseas again. It has been a little bit quieter this year, but I think people are still maybe a little bit scared to travel. But the feedback we've had has been wonderful. Excellent tastings, excellent fun. Welcome back, everyone. What we'll think about is product now. So the tasting packs we've got today, we've got, for a, it's not a bad way to kind of start. A 15 year old's good. This one here is very much sherry focused, so quite a lot of the, the core range product will be. Well, I never asked, what did you think of the eight? The very first whiskey we drank through there. Uh, I like that reaction actually. It doesn't drink like the eight. I, not that an eight drinks in a certain way, I know that, but it drinks more matured. Yeah. So a lot of people will drink that and they'll say, oh, was that the 12? And I'm like, no, no, no. So the eight year old was only launched two weeks ago. So we've now got the eight, the 12, the 15, and the 18. And eventually I think we'll see some 25 year old coming back again, but it's all sold out just now. So that's quite a nice core cool range. And then we've got these beautiful ones that we've done on purpose for you here today. How's your thoughts on peated? Never used to like it, but I do like it. I'm getting into it. It grows on you, yeah. Yeah. I thought I was saying that, like a Lafroig and that. A bit too much. Too much. They can go too far, peated. Some of them can. Some of them are a little bit too intense, aren't they? Um, so, these two here we've got towards the end of your tasting. There's one of them is um, the hand, these two are actually handful options. So you've got the darker one, which is a peated bourbon barrel being used on that. That's at 59.5%. But then you've got this beautiful Madeira, which is sitting in at 56.7%. So for handful options, they're completely different. So you've got something kind of for everyone's taste. 
that's what we're trying to do here at the distillery if we can. We try and try as much as possible. I mean, so much so that folk will come up and go, have you ever tried filling a certain type of cask? And Billy will be like, no, but we will. I just heard the other day, I'm not sure how much of this I can tell you, but he's filling a champagne casks. Um, because somebody had asked him about that, and I'm like, wow, okay. I didn't know anybody else has used champagne before. I'm joined by George McNeil, who is the chairman of the Spirit of Speyside. Hi, George, how are you? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good. You're having a great time. The sun, the sun is out. Um, I've been to a few different events. It's been great to see people in person and, and just be back. How do you feel that it's back? It's in person. It's, you know, it's back with a bang. An interesting way to measure that is we had the traditional opening dinner on Wednesday evening, which primarily is the industry coming together. Um, and we had the pleasure of Glenn Firrock hosting it. We had around 380 people there. So there was almost a feeling of relief that you could feel. Now we ran exceptionally late on the programme, but we consciously allowed that to happen because the minute the starters went down, the networking happened. Usually people wait to after a main course, usually wait to Switzerland, but people were just up and they were talking, they were connecting, they were engaging, and there was a feeling of enthusiasm and excitement. And I actually think it was just three years of built, because although that we talk about COVID being a two-year thing, we actually cancelled at the very start of the COVID session. So we were a year prior to that, before the, the dinner, the previous dinner, and then two years of COVID. So this was the first time in three years that the industry came together in this format. And you could feel that excitement and buzz in the room to have everybody together, to have the distillers together and the team behind the scenes from the Spirit of Speyside team and the Glen Firth team who were hosting. They just had put put on the absolutely and outstandingly perfect dinner. It was just everything just went to plan and we had a great host. So yeah, yeah, listen, that you could feel that excitement. It was absolutely superb. Because everyone all gets on. I mean, you're all rivals sort of, well, not you because you're... Sort of the chairman, but they're all rival sort of distilleries, but they're not. It's very friendly. Yeah, industry. I think it's a great point, and it's some it's one I like to look at, and I kind of have my opinion on it. It'd be interesting to talk to everybody individually. However, I think what I'm seeing in that whiskey industry is a significant amount of respect among each other. There's respect for intellectual property and their brand, and they're all on a separate brand journey, and they they've got to respect it. There is competition in that space, but there is also significant respect because they all appreciate what each other do. They've all got that patience among them because obviously you've got to be very patient, which is the nature and the DNA of a whiskey becoming a whiskey. And I think that it's just that respect among the people. I think the industry wanted to come back together and just catch up and see how everybody was doing. And that was the beauty, I think, of why I believe a big part of the, the Wednesday night, the start was, as people are saying, the best they've been to in a long time. A lot of that will be the built-up energy of not being there for a few years. On top of that... Um, it's coming together after three years and also Glenn Furrock and the team pulling off an absolutely fantastic event. I'm really sorry I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> we will get you back next year. FOMO. Yeah. This is your first uh, as chairman, so how did all that come about? Because this is not your, you work at Johnson's Yeah, so listen, I'm the managing director here at the retail division at Johnson's of Elgin and I've been here 15 years. And when I first started my career here, I got involved in the Chamber of Commerce as a kind of corporate social responsibility thing that Johnson's were given a bit of time of some of their senior team to help in the community. And the Chamber of Commerce for me was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed the role as president, which is a chairman role, it's just called president in that position. I enjoyed the networking, I enjoyed the development of myself and how it pushed me into uncomfortable areas. Johnson's became exceptionally busy, retail growth became exceptionally busy, travelling became exceptionally busy. But the world of COVID then 
kind of allowed us to realign the amount of commitment and time commitment we put into certain areas. And one of those things was travel. The world of Teams, the world of Zoom helped us re-educate how we can be more productive. We actually accepted there was less travelling required. So that freed up a little bit of time for me to speak to Johnson about, I wonder if I could get involved in another opportunity to just stretch the brain in a different way. They were very comfortable and very happy for me to support that. Um, so I started to put some feelers out about what that would look like, what would I be involved in? And what I did want to be involved in was something within the tourism sector because that's where Johnson's would also benefit from the time being in that space. Now, we welcome approximately in a good year 200,000 guests here at Johnson's. One person suggested that maybe engaging with James Campbell. He'd completed 10 years as chairman. So when James and I spoke, we must have met three or four times and came to an agreement that um, they would love me to take over as chair and I was happy to do it. Speaking to James and look at what the role and title it entailed. James then has managed, probably in the last six months, a very professional handover of relationships to myself, a very professional handover of the memberships and the partnerships, meeting with a number of people that he's built relationships with over 10 years. He's effectively handing over that relationship. Yeah, listen, it's been a fantastic six months. I'm very blessed that James has been there with the council and holding my hands, to be honest. And what exactly is it? So you're talking about relationships and things. What is, what is the role? It's an interesting one, and I hope James doesn't mind me reflecting on you know, James had moved into a period in his journey where he was moving into retirement. So he could actually give a lot more time, almost as an executive chair role, that he could steer and direct um, and help facilitate a lot of decision making. However, with um, I've got to be very conscious that Johnson's time can't be too diluted with the role. So a big part of my role, I believe, is the development of the team in order to make them confident, good enough, and the skill sets that they can execute executive decisions on behalf of the Spirit of Speyside and the Whiskey Festival and Distilled and the Gin Festival if we do that again next year. So I believe it's all about the development of the people so that they can then control, manage, facilitate the role of the actual festival and all the other festivals that are linked to it. If there's relationships to get built at senior levels with Scotch Whiskey Association or Keepers of the Quake, any those kind of organisations that we can influence and help, then I think the chair should step in and help with those relationships. To me, it's about the development of people to ensure the success goes forward and the continuation and the management of relationships as we take it forward. And uh, so you mentioned Johnson's Elgin and Spirit Speyside, it's in the tourism sector. How does it feel to have tourists coming back to the festival, even if it's people like me who have come from Glasgow? That, listen, if it's domestic tourism, if it's local tourism or international tourism, everybody's welcome. Within Johnson's, we've got 200,000 guests in a good year. It's evident from our sales numbers that there's still a lack of international tourism. That's from a Johnson point of view. So what will be interesting is how we reflect on whether this Spirit of Space Whiskey Festival has returned the volume of international tourism or if we're just not there yet. Um, 2019 is a good kind of key year for us because it was a record year for ticket sales, event sales and turnover. Um, we didn't quite hit those numbers this year. I don't think we expected to hit those numbers this year. Again, in the world of retail that I sit in with Johnson's, we're certainly forecasting that 2023 will be a more normal year based on 2019's numbers and hopefully some growth. So I think our target will be to look at 2023, engage with the international audience and continue to drive that footfall back for 2023 with the expectation that we believe we can return to and if not beat 2019 numbers. Yeah, no, it's, it's been really, really good. Um, obviously, it is a whiskey festival, which leads me on to my next question. Are you a whiskey drinker and what is your earliest memory of whiskey? Oh, there's a good question. Do you know, it's funny, I was just reflecting that recently. My very good friend Mark, my best mate down in Glasgow, he travelled up for the festival and it was Mark that introduced me to whiskey. 
and it was in a, a nice bar in Shawlands at the age of 20, 21, a bar that's no longer there called the Genie. And um, he poured me a nice Glevar. There's one or two people might argue about the quality of Glevar being a whiskey, not a whiskey, a liqueur, etc. And I'll let the specialists argue about that. But that was my first introduction to a whiskey. And Mark enjoys his whiskey, so he's educated me in years when he's visited. I first moved up here 15 years ago, and I remember Mark visiting uh, a couple of weeks after moving up and bringing a bottle of Macallan. And he said, that's, that's a nice dram for guests. The next morning we woke up, there wasn't a lot left. So I don't know how the guests were going to experience it. Um, so I've been on a journey myself. I had the pleasure through Johnson's. William Grant put together an industry MBA called MBA 25 with Strathclyde University. And their intention was to put 25 of their William Grant colleagues through an MBA that was structured to bring elements that William Grant wanted into it. They wanted luxury marketing involved, they wanted understanding family business involved, and they wanted entrepreneurship involved. So that was three elements that were bespoke to the MBA. But rather than do the 25 colleagues, they actually slice and dice and they said, we'll put some of the third sector, and we'll put it out to some of the third sector to come along and experience. And then they went to similar businesses with similar DNA, family business, luxury product, etc., without the conflict of whiskey. So I then had the pleasure of going through that MBA. So my next part of my journey was that every time there was a, an element or a, a, a component of the MBA, be it luxury marketing, marketing, we'd always break into groups and you'd always see each other's presentations. Nine times out of ten, understandably, it was about whiskey. So that was my education. Um, and then there was a lot of very blessed that I got to try a lot of whiskey in that space. So that was educational. So it went from my first bottle of McAllen then on to Glenfiddich. But I've still got a long way to go in my journey of understanding. When you speak to a specialist and they get it and they get that, that kind of sniffing, they get that nosing and they get the taste and the aftertaste. I've got a lot of education to come to get to get me to that place. But listen, I'm willing to try. Yeah. And um, I'll work with as many distillers that are willing to open their door and educate me because <laughs> that can only help. Yeah. Well, it's just going to the events in the, the festival because it's, it's, it's a whiskey festival, but I've brought friends up who don't really like whiskey and it's a really good time because yeah. it's an education, like you say, and it. There is. There is. And for me, what I've been finding and what the, I believe the distilleries are very good at and some are getting even better at it is the experience in which they give around the whiskey. And it's almost like the whiskey is part of a journey, the whiskey tasting is part of a journey. Um, I've had many distillery visits where it's not just been come in, sit down, taste whiskey, that's our whiskey leave. It's an experience of touring the grounds, an experience of understanding the history, um, an experience of understanding their process and I, I can understand people's perception of the processes are very simple sorry not simple that's not the right word similar to each distillery however when you truly understand you know where different grains are coming from and how that influences it and the woods that are used and the butts that are used and the casts that are used and the cherry casts versus the different kind of when you truly understand that then the maturity of age there's there's such an education in that the festival is over 500 events which is like overwhelming almost. Like you scroll through the website and think, yeah. my God. So what would you say to somebody who's never been before and looks at that and goes, I literally don't know where to start? Depends where they are in their journey of finding whiskey and where their place is in whiskey because you'll have some very non-whiskey drinkers and there'll be an introduction to whiskey in some cases. There will be some significant experience in whiskey drinking. Some people are travelling from all over the world to do their own whiskey hosting. So they maybe want to um, experience some distilleries they've maybe not experienced or some very mature whiskies they've not experienced. So I think that, well, I know for a fact there's something there for everybody. I think what we maybe need to reflect on is, 
you know, what, what can we do better to help people identify what's right for them? How can we filter that information? I think there's some work we can do on the website that can improve that, that can simplify it a little bit so it's not overwhelming and daunting. We've engaged with the industry, not necessarily all the industry, but there's one or two we've engaged with, some partners who have expressed a, a, a view that maybe the six or seven days is getting tight. As in, you know, we talk about over 500 events, I think we're at 598, I don't think we're shy for 600 actually. Whereas 2019 it was 750. Now when you've got that amount of events over the same period of time, we need to make sure the infrastructure can support that. We need to make sure accommodation can support it so that we don't overpromise under deliver and people come in and there's a lack of accommodation, lack of a transport infrastructure. So that's one of the questions we're maybe asking, not necessarily for 2023, maybe see how we return to greater numbers in 23, maybe something for 24. Is it a six day event? Would you stretch to eight or 10? That allows a little bit of a relaxation of the peak. However, I still think naturally, when there's more days, you'll get more events. So it's managing that peak and just, just kind of spreading out that kind of tourism at a period of time where we're historically quiet, you know, the, our peak of tourism here is round about the month of August and the shoulder months of August. So when you're in that kind of weekend, April coming into May, it's a quiet time. That's why that weekend was chosen. It brings footfall into the area. It helps with the economy. Obviously, it helps with the, the kind of branding of the whiskey industry and it helps with the brands who engage. So, yeah, I think there's a few things we need to do in order to improve that customer experience that we will look at over the coming months and prioritise as time and resource allows. Because there's new events all the time. I mean, one thing that the Scotsman at one point was involved in was the best new event. So it's, yeah. it's. I mean, how do people even come up with ideas? I mean, I was at something today, it was Star Wars themed. It was... You know, it's amazing. That's that, 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 listen, what that is, is some very creative individuals and well done, you know, to engage with the creative of a nice, beautiful whiskey. What, again, is the experience I can put around that? What can I actually do that, that's a point of difference? Um, and that very Star Wars event, which is getting a lot of airplay, which is right, because it shows you how you can think differently and actually tie in the whiskey. And, you know, I, we, I had a podcast with a gent, a gent and he is a, he is a Star Wars enthusiast. So right away, he, whether he's a whiskey drinker or not is irrelevant. He wanted to be involved. Whiskey then, it'd be nice to educate and see if whiskey is something that sits with his palate. Um, but the Star Wars theme is something that, and also there's a link to charity with the Star Wars theme, which is very important. Um, and the, the Lauren and Steph who set that up at the Downs Hotel have done exceptionally well. They were recognised at the, the Whiskey Awards actually for their contribution um, because they think differently and they think creatively. So I'd, I recommend that next year we try that again, as in more people just think differently and creatively and just think in different ways. The experience in the event becomes the thing and the whisky supports that. You know, the DNA is always there of whisky. Don't get me wrong, if you go to a distillery and the tour of the distillery, it's all about whisky and the whisky at the end. But sometimes you've got running events, sometimes you've got cycling events, and you enjoy a nice dram at the end. And at that that's the experience where DNA of whisky coming in, which I think is except that that's where you start to bring a different audience. And that's something I think we can reflect on and try and do better again. What we can do better is what experience could we do in the world of cashmere manufacturing the DNA of completely vertical mill along with the completely vertical process of whisky making there's things we can do so it's just thinking creatively and it's something at the festival again we could maybe reach out to that kind of part of the economy those organizations and say how can we involve better that kind of space
could be the next best new event. You never well, I better be careful. Maybe a wee conflict of interest there. I'll, um, I'll let somebody else judge that one. <laughs> you get a free scarf with every dram. I think that would win by default. <laughs> I don't know if the powers would be would allow me to do that, but um, yeah, who knows? So part of the podcast is Desert Island Jams, um, which is if you could only take three uh, whiskies onto a desert island, what would they be and why? Oh, oh, that's a good question. I had the pleasure of visiting um, the McAllen. And McAllen launched a collection called the Red Collection. Um, and a good friend of mine was very blessed that he was in a position that he was purchasing the Red Collection. And it, 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 that then allowed him to have a significant experience at McAllen, which I was very blessed to be invited along to. So we had a couple of days there. And I don't mind saying I went there nervous. Didn't know what experience. I know that the price of that collection was not inexpensive, so I was respectful of that, and that's where the nerves came from. And it was during COVID, so there was a bit of uncertainty of how things were going to go. There was no tasting of alcohol inside, so everything was outside. And that very first morning when we, we got there, a bit nervous, a dram came out, and I thought, right, okay, let's just enjoy this and go with the flow. And that, that dram relaxed me and chilled me. Um, and that dram was a, a McAllen estate. Um, so that is one that every time I think of that whiskey, it brings that experience back. Um, that's that's one. I think I think the second distillery I was ever to around was the Balvenie, um, and that was very special. So from that, any time I see a nice Balvenie sitting on the shelf, I would take with me. Um, and then there is a there is a third, and it's a lovely family business just over in Forest, the Ben Romick. Um, that are, it's, it's got a slightly different handwriting to a normal space side. Um, and Ben Roll do some nice of that. Again, um, I've been in the space where I've had a nice 10 year old Ben Roll from time to time. So I guess there's, and I've had a nice experience over at Ben Roll. I think one of my first whiskey festivals might have been when Ben Roll hosted it as well. Um, and um, so yeah, I think I could probably give you six, seven or eight. I could go on with a number of different whiskies that with the pleasure of trying over at the Craig Ellicky uh, up in the Quake Bar. There's been a number of different whiskies. So, listen, I hope that answers it. I don't, that, that I could give you eight or nine whiskies without having to show allegiance to any. And it, as somebody once said to me, what's your favourite whiskey? I've been educated to answer the next one you buy me. <laughs> so without having to show any um, allegiance to anyone, without trying to be completely neutral. So. Um, and just finally, if you could share a quake with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? That's a great question. I'd share it with my father if I could. He's been passed, I think, about, I think it was 14 years um, last month so if I had, if I had the opportunity to share uh, my, my father enjoyed his drink when I was younger and stopped drinking at a very young age so he and I never got to sit in that space of sitting in a bar and having a, a, a blether over a couple of alcohol drinks and maybe find out more about his past and his history so yeah I think if I could I would influence that that was lovely thank you very much no it was great thank you Thank you to all my guests on this episode. I had such a great time at Spirit Speyside and it was lovely to be back at in-person events. If you enjoyed this episode, that's not the last you'll hear from whiskey festivals this summer. I'm delighted to say that we're hitting the road next week heading to Facial. We'll be bringing you a flavour of this much-loved and oversubscribed festival very soon. Plus, subscribe and stay tuned for highlights of the Glen Scotia Day at the Campbelltown Malts Festival. Thanks to you for listening and please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Slange.